Welcome to the Ether. Today is Saturday, November 26, 2022. Today on the Ether, the Omniflix Network hosts an AMA with Kurt Schilling, NFTs for ALS, minting for hope. Let's take a listen. So just to give everybody a quick heads up how the, this is going to run today. So we have Kurt joining us at around 5.30. And then we have, uh, right now we have from New York Culture Club uh, in Manhattan and uh, talk, to us, talk to us a little bit about his projects. And we have, I believe we'll be joined also by Wolf and Nose, the founder of the Owlies Project. And then we'll be joined by Kurt. And we have a pretty little, pretty interesting little segment there with him. And we'll be opening to the audience questions. We have a question uh, submission form that we're going to share here in the space so that everybody can submit their questions to Kurt directly. And I'm sharing that in here right now. So if you want to ask your question to Kurt, just fill out the form that I just shared here in the space, and we will pick the best questions to participate in that. And if you are selected, you win a whitelist spot uh, for his first two collections with Omniflex. And those will be collections that you will want to collect and hold. Uh, All proceeds are going to support ALS research and hopefully to find a cure or suitable treatment for ALS. And now, without further ado, we are joined by Brian from the New York Culture Club. And how are you? Good evening. How are you today, man? I'm doing great. I'm having a uh, jam-packed day with Twitter spaces, running, and uh, working hard. Gotta look out for those shin splints, man. You know, I don't get those as much these days. In fact, when I get shin splints, it's because I'm wearing dress shoes and trying to basically run in dress shoes somewhere in Manhattan. That's when I get shin splints. <laughs> yeah, those, those are not fun. I still get those from high school football. But in any case, tell us a little bit about your project. Uh, we have Metahattan and we have the New York Culture Club. Uh, we, well, the New York Culture Club is more of a imminent um, you know, uh, mode, mission for you guys. But can you tell us a little bit about both? Yeah. So I'll start with New York Culture Club. Uh, New York Culture Club is a lifestyle and apparel brand, uh, mainly manufacturing um, streetwear that has embedded uh, microelectronics in it, notably uh, NFC, but um, many other subcategories of RFID can be and will be. Uh, probably embedded in apparel over time. Um, And what we do is we link uh, those physical items uh, to decentralized blockchains and create unique digital certificates of authenticity. Um, So that can perform a number of functions when you talk about apparel, whether that be supply chain logistics, sustainability measures, um, or 
something that is more exciting uh, for probably people on this call, which is the enhanced connection between the customer and the brand that can be forged uh, between uh, linking an item to blockchain and creating that ownership procedure, but also having that embedded microelectronic that could go to a website that could, um, you know, direct you to a where to earn program. Um, there's there's a number of different ways you could use that technology. So, so yeah. do you think that's like the that's where in Web three where the affiliate game is going in sense of uh, you know if someone's wearing your shirt they can now tap their phone on your shirt and immediately go ahead and buy it and say oh I, I just I just earned a referral fee for that that's correct so and what we want to do is make sure the artist ultimately gets a cut of that right so new york culture club works in partnership and co-creation with artists rather than buying their intellectual property out from under them like many other you know major brands right so if nike wants a piece of art they'll go and they they buy it from somebody and um they will not really assign you a royalty for it now they're getting kind of hip to this right now and you're seeing dot swoosh and some other programs that are being released but i would just caution you read the fine print on a lot of these things that are coming out because large centralized institutions in many cases are not you know they're not in it to uh do much else but make money <laughs> understood um so the where did metahattan and new york Club kind of meet yeah, well, New York Culture Club, like we said, is uh, mainly tied back to physical apparel. We are making digital apparel as well, but in many cases right now, that's just serving as the digital twin asset for something that we've made physically. Um, now, we will have just straight uh, digital collections moving forward, and we've um, been amassing some designs in that area, so we'll be releasing some things in the coming months. Um, but Metahattan is far more um, in uh, metaverse and extended reality technologies. Um, so if we're, we're seeing NFTs as ownership procedure for digital and physical assets, um, what many refer to as metaverse is going to be more of the, you know, the actual UX UI experience moving forward of, of you know, the Internet. So we're focusing on Manhattan and creating a digital twin environment of Manhattan and bridging the physical and digital worlds um, with various XR technologies. Yeah, we'll get uh, Brian from Manhattan back up here just a moment. And I hope we're not having issues again. If you can hear me, give me a thumbs up. I can hear you. I'm not sure if people can hear me. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. Thank you. Uh, Brian, if you can, are you receiving the invite for uh to become a speaker okay i'm here can people hear me now i can hear you now i can hear you for a second there i thought i didn't exist i got afraid so did i i feel, I feel the same way i know how that goes uh yeah please uh now that we have uh unfortunately like jumped through 15 minutes of this let's hope that this is the, the uh bs and we can go ahead with the rest of the space without any ruggings and uh incons in inconveniences so back to Metahattan and the New York Culture Club. Well, I think I, 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 she buried an empty fucking coffin. We didn't bury anything, just um, a headstone. Metahattan is a blockchain integrated digital twin, um, and it's an AR and a VR uh, environment. Um, 
but uh, we are just getting started. We are in the hiring phase. We are raising capital right now, and we've been deploying some of that capital per per that hiring. Um, and I've been kind of downloading my vision um, for things into those individuals who have been joining us, and they've been sharing their perspective, and we've been starting to mold that piece of clay. So that's where we're at. So now you have a, uh, a pop-up shop that's going to be on December 10th, if I'm correct, right, in New York City? Correct. And I'll be down at Miami Art Basel for, for everybody as well. Um, so uh, I'll be there from the, the 29th to the 3rd. But you're correct here, back here in New York on December 10th, we'll have a pop-up shop where we'll be featuring some of our physical as well as digital apparel. Um, and there, there will also be an after party where we have food, drink, music, VR experience, bunch of different things so yeah that's awesome the um the shirts that you guys have uh can you talk to us a little bit about your your high school brand yeah well uh one of the designs uh that uh we're doing a limited run of we're doing 250 uh of these tech embedded sweatshirts uh it says high school on the front of it that kind of harkens back to those of you who remember animal house and belushi wore that sweater that said college on the front of it um the idea is really kind of saying college high school youtube you know whatever get your education and you know seize it you know find it where you can get it um and really it's speaking to the fact that we're rapidly moving more and more towards knowledge and service-based economies Right. And that we need to be sharing with others and sharing knowledge and data um, and, and making less things. Right. That machines are making more things. So um, that's a way of kind of summing it up that uh, New York Culture Club, a lot of our kind of in-house designs tend to be kind of anti anti disruptive messaging. Um, that's you know pretty consistent with you know, tri-state area streetwear. Where the idea so is that where the idea kind of was birthed? Well, yeah, I grew up in New Jersey. Um, so I always was coming into New York when I was younger and I grew up in the the skateboard and um, you know, surf and snowboard culture. Um, so that that's kind of my identity and that's what's really found its way into at least the heart of our brand. And um you know, I but like I said, we are here to work with many other local artists and emerging artists um, in partnership and collaboration. And what's beautiful about blockchain technology is we know through a smart contract we can do that in a very transparent um, and accountable manner. So, where do you see the um, the like metaverse the metaverse space going in the next you know three to five years? Like, where do you, when do you think it'll see like actual? Um, mass adoption across the board where people are, you know, walking around and experiencing things in different, you know, in different ways with VR headsets, as if it isn't bad enough that people are already with their eyes glued to their phones as they're walking in a crosswalk in the middle of New York City. Yeah, in many ways, I think that it'll probably be a lot less of VR and a lot more AR, right? Like functionally on a daily basis, I think we'll find ourselves more in um, an augmented reality scenario, more than a full-blown, you know, um, VR experience. I would look at it more like VR will be like going to the movies, right? Every time you watch a program or a movie, you don't go to the movies. Um, and there will continue to be obviously socioeconomic limitations to, you know, who has access to be able to purchase headsets and these expensive hardwares for the coming years there i mean there's you know a number of years before the price points on those really 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 come down 
Um, we also have to concern ourselves with getting internet access to everybody on the planet, which we're making some strides on over the past decade, you know, um, but you know, we still have some, some work to do. Um, but I think that, um, we're, we're trying to figure it out right now. I think there's a lot of people who either think they're the metaverse, um, which I think Facebook and meta, um, are, are feeling the pain of kind of thinking that they were going to be the metaverse, um, thinking that you're going to be the metaverse is like thinking that every single person on earth is just going to go to your web page. Um, metaverse is a living, breathing, anthropological ecosystem. Um, and we can all like have our own space in, in that place. Um, what we're trying to do is give people space in a version of Manhattan right, to create on their own layer. So people will have their functional layer of Manhattan from an AR or a VR perspective to create upon and people will be able to subscribe to their layer. That's really cool. I mean, the, the fact that you can have like different layers of the metaverse and kind of switch through like a channel in the sense of like a almost like a spatial type environment, where you can go from one spot to another spot to another spot, and be in that same spot in real life is uh it's pretty fascinating and, and especially if, if you can go you know and, and you're, you're with a friend and it's like oh check out my you know version of this world and now you can see your version of this world and then you can see you know somebody else's version of the world and see how different people you know look at different things and what the ideal so to speak yeah then think of actually literally seeing the world through somebody else's eyes and that's what is possible when you talk about like glasses and hardware like that like mark my words people will see the world through Kim Kardashian's eyes or through Harry Styles' eyes or whoever everybody's interested in today. Um, it, it, it will get to that level. Or you'll have your glasses on and you'll be sitting in a cafe in Manhattan and your friend who you subscribe to walks by. And as he walks by, there's a dragon walking behind him. And you can see that because you're subscribed to his lair. So what all this is about is about creator economies and the ability to, you know, distribute your creative spirit to others. And now blockchain created the ability to monetize it and account for it. Right. So prior to blockchain, there was no way to actually account for the intrinsic value of a digital asset and certainly not transfer it in this type of efficient manner. Am I existing still? Can you back? And yeah, I'm back. I'm back. I'm going to make sure that I'm not the co-host anymore. You guys stick with the co-host thing because I guess it's my my connection that's screwed up still. Um, but I apologize for that. And just if you guys are co-host, I think we'll be okay. Because then, God forbid, I get rugged again, then we won't lose the space, and that'll be ideal. Again, ask anybody that's in here uh, if you could be so kind as to share the space around uh, like that. We can uh, just because we lost the initial space, that would be very very helpful. And you know, tell your friends if they would like to ask a question to Kurt, he will be here shortly. And the form that you can use to submit your questions are right at the top there. You can check those all out. And uh, Brian, so one more question with the, um, the Metahattan project. Now, when do you see the potential launch of this being? Is this like a year down the line? Um, like how far are we from seeing Metahattan? Uh, Meta yeah, in, in the AR um, side of things, 
uh, probably eight to 12 months and full-blown VR, you're going to get dripped certain neighborhoods uh, probably closer to that same time frame, probably more on the 12-month time frame. Um, but as far as a full-blown environment, the way that we want it to function in an open world, all of Manhattan, probably three years. Um, and well, I think that... In terms of the yeah. utility of it, uh, I imagine there's going to be, you know, the government will uh, have will have a place in that in the sense of you're making it like a digital twin, a literal digital twin. So you'll have to uh, adhere to like zoning uh, regulations and and things like that when you're wanting to make functionality changes to the to the space, right? Yeah, well, the way I think what makes our path a little different than others is that digital twinning aspect, exactly what you said. So we're looking to bridge the physical and digital environments to affect uh, urban management, public health and safety, uh, cybersecurity. And we're actually creating a scaled digital twin of Manhattan using geographical information systems and volumetric data that you pipe into a gaming engine. And essentially it builds volumetrically all of the buildings of Manhattan Right. And then you have to forge relationships with individuals who have dynamically updating satellite mesh. <laughs> and there's only a few people in the world who have the, that type of um, imagery. And one of them is an aerospace company or a technology company called Maxar. And Maxar is selling that imagery to major corporations who can afford that type of imagery. And they are piping it into those worlds to create photorealistic uh, environments, right? But bringing a million concurrent users into a photorealistic environment with integrated blockchain marketplaces is that promise is something that is a few years off, right? And uh, we are just starting to build the company. And um, I think this is what people need to have an appreciation for. Uh, they oftentimes think a company just should have something right away. M most companies take seven to 10 years to build. Um, and when you look at someone like Ready Player Me, right, it almost seems like Ready Player Me has kind of come to the forefront in the past couple of years, and they have. But that company is about eight years old, right? So when you really look back, um, we're, we're, we have a very short attention span these days. Um, but what it requires in a leadership role that I sit in is to have some patience for how things actually work, because a lot of these things also cost tens of millions of dollars, which there is you have to be very, be very delicate um, in, in raising that and very careful about how you raise it. Well, you, you make a very good point with the attention span. And it was actually in 2016 that uh, the human attention span actually was surpassed by that of a goldfish. So now goldfish have longer attention spans than humans. Well, I, I would just say quite simply, our brain is, is being trained to ask the wrong question every day. We say, what is this or why is this happening to me? And I would try to discipline yourself and replace that with what are we going to make of this? Um, because it's, it's the wrong way of thinking, especially for something like this that is much more longer term focused and, and incorporates so many different levels of um, technology, sociology, um, just there's so many elements of this behavioral elements. 
Um, you asked me how long for the metaverse. Well, um, right now, people don't have the space for this. Macroeconomically, we're, we're in quite a depression financially, right, around the world. We've got a war going on in Russia and Ukraine. We've got financial markets across the crypto markets and global equity and bond markets um, suffering their biggest losses in over a decade. Um, things are not great. So people just don't quite have, in my opinion, um, the bandwidth to, to in, in what they're thinking is play games right now. Right. Well, that, that makes sense. I mean, hopefully, you know, we see a turnaround in the next, I guess, year would be uh, ideal. But the, the, the unfortunate situation is that, you know, the gas prices are through the roof just about everywhere. And the, we have now the COVID hangover of all the money that was just printed. And we see, you know, you know the NFT space is suffering, the crypto space is suffering. And of course, you get the, the lovely rugging by uh, SBF and Almeida Capital. And then you have you know, the following contagion that will come from that. And it's unfortunately making things a little bit more difficult for everybody, but it's got to fight through. Yeah, yeah. And, and by no means, everyone, don't, please don't take this as like uh, me being a pessimist. I, I, I show up every day with faith that you know, we're, we're going to make our way through this near term noise of, of this kind of stuff. But um, it's just a reality of what's going on right now. And, and the money has dried up, right? Like, it's, it's very difficult um, to bridge money into this space right now. And existing assets within this space have been, you know, quite destroyed. Um, so it's, it's just um, a period in time and, and the, the technology is not in question anymore. That is a fact, right? So um, I laughed the other day because I was talking to other people who had difficult situations at thanks, the Thanksgiving dinner table about you know, talking about this kind of stuff. Um, and what most people are kind of questioning out in the open, the reason, the frustration oftentimes from professionals or other people who are involved in this industry is that what other people are questioning, the technology itself is not a question anymore. That's a, those are facts that industry professionals now have determined. We've moved trillions of dollars back and forth across this planet using blockchain technology for over a decade. There's no question of the, 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 you know, the veracity of that. Um, what is in question is different use cases. Right. And some people are saying that's silly art. I don't like that. Fine. You don't have to like that. You know, but um, a lot of the criticisms of these things are just ill, ill founded. Um, for instance, like people say Bitcoin has huge energy consumption. Right. But that the leakage, like if, if we just go in a very simple form, like a frayed wire. The leakage from the global energy system on an annual basis is far more than Bitcoin uses. Household appliances use more. You know, so when you really put it in perspective and say, also, what are we achieving? Right? What is the alternative? And that's that's often something that people don't want to talk about, right? How much energy does the banking sector currently use? <laughs> <laughs> You got to like take the good with the bad in a sense, because now you have these chains that are now green chains, essentially, that will uh, cut down on the energy use. But when you have the majority of the or such a large 
amount of consumption coming from China, you can't really tell them what to do. So there's only so much that as a, as a person or as a country can do uh, when you have a country that has billions of people or a billion people in it, um, you know, consuming as much energy as you do. And you can't really uh, do much about that. Yeah. And these things haven't scaled yet. Right. So a lot of the criticisms of this space are are true. But again, um, what is good of, of these times is we, we continue building. And if you've looked at what's gone on in this space, um, asset prices may be down, but that has nothing to do with what's actually occurring business wise, you know, in this ecosystem. The, the business is, you know, booming, honestly, and uh, adoption rate of, you know, Fortune 500 companies in the space of Web3 technologies has only increased. You know, um, over this period of time. So, uh, you know, it, it's real asset prices, um, are real and, and taking a hit, you know, on, on monies is, is real. But, um, if you're, if you're in it for the long term here, um, then you shouldn't be concerned because the technology is not going anywhere. So if you'd like to share one thing to people that they should know about the future of Metahattan and how you're going to be differentiating yourself from other uh, projects in AR and VR space, what would that be? Um, it's that we're going to use blockchain technologies operationally within our enterprise to help direct resources more equitably um, in our ecosystem, right? So we feel that one thing that humanity has not done well is distribute resources, um, you know, in, in a fair or even efficient manner. Right. So we want to make sure that we can do something like that within our eco ecosystem. And if we can prove something virtually and simulate it that way, maybe we can start doing things in the real world a little better based on that data. Fair enough. Well, thank you for that, Brian. Um, and is it cool if we uh, if we keep you on here until Kurt arrives? He should be coming in shortly. Sure. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, so are you a baseball fan or are you um, not, not a big baseball fan? You know what? I'm much more of a music person than I am a sports person in general, but I did play a ton of sports. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of sports in general, but I, I will say he played for the Phillies at one point, right? Or you're among yeah, that was, a, uh, I guess the second team he played for. He started, he came up with the Baltimore, Baltimore Orioles and then okay. uh, he moved over to Philly and then to Arizona and then Boston. Well, I'm certainly a Phillies guy, and and I play. I actually played the national anthem at a Phillies game once, <laughs> so that that's an interesting fun fact. Um, but yeah, when I was with Valley Forge Military Academy, we played the national anthem to open a Phillies game. So I don't think it was quite back in his day, uh, but uh, yeah. So I'm a Phillies fan. Gotcha. Well, no, um, the Phillies are uh, in interesting spot now, but uh, I think the Phillies fans would have liked to have had Kurt around for a uh, World Series run because then they might have, you know, well, I guess they did win the World Series without him, but uh, the the Philly fanatic got to love that mascot. Always a good mascot. Always good when you have a good mascot. Very fitting of Philly and just Pennsylvania. I think in 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 general. <laughs> Well, we got the Flex fanatic, but uh, the Philly fanatic, uh, our, our guys, they don't wear mascot. They don't wear like the mascot outfit. We got to get, you know, Cicelo, we should get the the Flex fanatics a nice little costume. Yeah, I think all of the the mascots of of uh, 
Philly sports are, are pretty funny in general. We've got what gritty then you've got gritty too, which basically is the same, same sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now with the project that you're working on, uh, when it comes to taking the real world and making it into VR, what is like the toughest thing in terms of making the, you know, the, the lateral move, uh, in that sense, like, how do you, you know, how do you build a digital twin in the real world or in the VR world rather? Um, there's layers and layers of different technology. I mentioned some of it. So geographical information systems, um, are one, one of them. Um, the imagery is another, right? So mashing together imagery through photogrammetry and creating 3d object with 2d imagery that's obtained by either satellite means or various forms of aviation. Um, you can't fly drones though over New York. So see, there's like really difficult limitations. Um, there's a reason why we have set out to prove it here and why it's actually going to take so long and why I'm giving those realistic timeframes, um, or because there's still a lot legally, um, to adapt in the, to, in this, this space. Um, that's a huge part of all this actually, like so much of what has been done is, is not legal. Um, and once money starts really flowing, you'll see that. Because things don't really boil to the surface in a legal sense until a lot of money is made normally, right? Because it doesn't make sense to bring the full weight of 15 lawyers against somebody if you don't have something to really go after. Um, so I think that a, a lot of the legality behind this is a huge um, hurdle. But also what I was saying, bringing you know, a ton of current can users, concurrent users into an open world environment, like having a million people in an environment that is not sharded or mirrored, right? Like actually having a million plus people concurrently in one environment, open world, you know, and um, that is an extraordinarily difficult feat um, operationally, um, most understated. Um, there's a lot of people who would hold the Twitter space and just say, yeah, we're going to do this. Um, yeah, a few year after a few years of uh, spending every single day paying attention to how you're going to do it, um, because it's not just going to happen. Um, and the way that we're going to be able to render a photorealistic world like that is you're only going to be rendering what that particular person is actually seeing at that given moment. Do you think we've gotten to the point where there's too much money or so much money invested in the space that it's almost like a too big to fail type situation? Well, I mean, it, I think that it's just so many integrated technologies working in concert with each other to achieve this overall metaverse, if, you, if we're talking about metaverse in, in general. Um, that metaverse ecosystem is so vast. That's why we compare it to internet because we don't know what to compare it to. Um, I joke with people sometimes, what makes you think we know how to use the internet? Because <laughs> it is just us. And that's why I describe metaverse as just a living, breathing, anthropological ecosystem. It's just us. Like that web one that everybody talks about, that's what we call a database of intentions. Like Google was just the database of intentions. 
And where do you see the like NFTs fitting in? Uh, I know you're using Omniflix for your for your um, to do the clothing line uh, uh, in a sense. But so how do you how do you see NFTs fitting into both New York Culture Club and the aspects of the metaverse? Well, NFTs um, to me, I mean, now listen, there's so many different ways to creatively define an NFT and to use an NFT. But if we're just drilling down to the technology itself and what I'm mainly concerned with myself on a daily basis um, is utilizing a unique asset identifying marker on a decentralized blockchain to account for either the intrinsic value of a digital or physical asset or just the ownership procedure itself, defining ownership procedure itself. So, yeah, I'm, I'm far more, I guess, operationally concerned. And, and, and so like, to me, that's why I'm not, that's why I don't really even have, um, conversations with people who say, you know, NFTs are bullshit or something like that. Cause it's just like, it's such a silly comment. It shows a fundamental lack of understanding of what's even going on here. I think we might've lost Ken again. Hey, sorry about that. Tried to answer a message and then the message wasn't on my account. So I got kicked out. Yeah. We should have Kurt here in just a moment. Uh, but now just with the, uh, the NFTs that, you know, the way that you're, implementing them like what is it that what is it what is it about omniflix that um that led you to believe that it's the right platform for you or the right infrastructure for you to build your uh nfts with and implement them within your projects yeah well i think that there's a baseline amount of research that you need to do and make sure that somebody's technology is sound and that they've been in this space for a, a little bit and that they know what they're doing and um you gotta you gotta certainly do some baseline research and check that kind of stuff out but once I had that kind of baseline of understanding that you were um, a real organization here and doing good things, um, the principles and values of the leadership within your organization, yourself included, um, made me feel comfortable in wanting to do business you know, with, with um, your organization ultimately. Um, so obviously, there's many different competing chains out there. You know that. Everyone here knows that. Um, and different, you know, cryptocurrencies you can denominate your assets in. And uh, there's a lot of competition out there. But um, it, it comes down to what it kind of always comes down to when you want to do business with somebody is do you trust that person? And do they have a good value set that aligns with yours? And, um, you know, your your team and your your leadership is something I'm comfortable with. And again, um, knowing the technology is buttoned up is just that baseline stuff. Um, but that's really, yeah, that's, and, and, uh, again, you've been here for a number of years and, um, you all have been forward thinking about, um, just even functional things within your UI UX experience. And, um, so if we get more detailed, you know, just the way that you're adapting over time to make sure that the, the artist or the business owner or whoever's using you, um, it has their needs met and, and is heard. Absolutely. And I mean, we try to make it so that, you know, the the artists have kind of a freedom to to publish what they want to publish, you know, within you know, within good taste, I guess, with, with good with, with good reason. You know, we, we try to be a permissionless platform where, you know, somebody can express themselves in you know whatever way they see fit. And that's one of the reasons that Kurt has decided to, you know, to launch his collection with us, uh, you know, being a person that is very outspoken, you know, in a number of ways. Um, he, he just, you know, he's doing this for ALS 
to um, you know, raise money for ALS research and awareness. He's launching an awareness campaign with um, with the ALS Association to do a educational and uh, and awareness raising campaign using OmniFlix TV. Uh, and I think also using, you know, having platforms like that where you can create, you know, interactive videos and educational videos to educate people and also reward them uh, for participating in your initiatives or to educate or for you know, learning about whatever you're trying to teach them. I think that also kind of furthers, you know, anybody that's trying to launch a project anywhere that you have these assets or these um, these tools in place so that you can use them to uh to further the marketing of your concepts so i think especially when you're doing something like what you're doing having where there's going to be a lot of education that needs to go into teaching people about how the you know the digital twin aspect of things works and how they can start building and creating their own layer within metahattan uh or any project uh, i think that's vital because a lot of you know a lot of other communities don't have those resources and don't have those uh technologies in place so that people can actually go and educate their community on how to use it. Yeah. And it's about building something. And and this goes to the timeline as well as um, we don't want to release something that's, uh, you know, bubblegum together, right? We, we want to make sure that um, what we release is something we can be proud of, something that is very functional, something that is intuitive and very easy for the user, the end user. And, and again, we want to be proud of what we put out there. Um, that requires time effort and getting the recipe right. right? So um, you're right. There's a lot of education, not only on the Metahattan side, but to teach people that they can have an embedded microelectronic in their shirt or hat or shoes. right? People, I think, will get it pretty quickly when you can show them that they can monetize right, their, their, themselves. Um, but then others won't care about that at all. And that's okay. Right. So um, some people might want to just launch their business card off of their sleeve or some people might not want a microchip in their garment at all. Right. So I, I have people say to me sometimes, like, what if people think you're going to track them and what if they you know, don't buy into this? I said, there's going to be plenty of people who don't and they're just not our customers. You know, I, I it's it's really as simple as that. I mean, um, we feel that we have a, a, a great creative um, solution here to account for the ownership of artistry um, in the fashion and apparel space. And we want to express it the way that we're doing it. But not everyone has to be on board for our way of doing things. Right. That's the beauty of it. Very true. Very true. Uh, I think it's, it's kind of like a to each their own thing. And if you're thinking that you're not being tracked by your cell phone already uh, everywhere you go, Take a look at your Google history and make sure that you have your location shut off because you'll see a map of every place you've been in the last like five years or 10 years uh, just because Google is tracking every single thing you do. Exactly. If I wanted to really actually answer that, that question for that person, right there, you're, you're right. There's actually a, a whole list of things I could go through, right? Their credit cards in their wallet have beryllium ferrite slurries on them, those microchips that are essentially the same exact thing. Um, and what everybody is using fancy wallets with like embedded lead uh, sleeves in them for is just a gimmick. There's really no case of anyone ever lifting credit card information off of somebody remotely <laughs> so well, yeah. I, yeah. that but if, if you're staying at a hotel then you're uh and you got that plate in your in your phone 
then you're going to be needing to get a room key remade every time you go into your room because it wipes out your room key too. Yeah. I mean, these are things that we believe that are buttoned up, right? And and just aren't, you know, and there's a lot of stuff that actually is, is kind of like that. But um, in many cases, we just are trying to find better ways to do things, more efficient ways of doing things. And we think that, again, uh, NFTs create operational efficiencies. They allow us to transparently disclose a lot of information to our, our customers. And they also allow for um, that heightened brand customer connection through that embedded microelectronics should we you know, want to do that. Um, but we're going to have classic collections of clothing as well. And like I said, we'll have some that um, are just simple and could go back to a website. Um, the, the real utility at the end of the day is, is good quality fashion and apparel and artistry that is displayed on that, right? We can get really fancy with technology, but at the end of the day, it's that. I appreciate you, Brian. Thank you so much. And we've been joined by the man of the hour, Kurt Schilling. Hey, uh, how are you doing? I'm good. That's my little friend. Hey, that's just so you guys know, that's my French bulldog puck in the background barking. So. <laughs> well uh, tell him we say hello as well i will do that how are you doing i'm good guys how are you guys doing great great it's an uh, honor to have you here thank you so much for joining very very excited about this whole nft thing and and the potential and possibility uh of plus i think it the 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 last version i've seen looks just so badass i'm glad you like it man that's uh, that was the goal so the Project is designed to raise awareness and raise money for ALS research, an initiative that you've been uh, that you've taken on since uh, I, I imagine since like early in your career, uh, going back like twenty years. I still see you know you have the the hundred pitch game or the hundred inning game, uh, which was uh, an event that you started back in Boston. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how you got started, you know, in your support of yep. ALS? Yep. So uh, nineteen ninety two, which was my first season in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, uh, uh, the Phillies uh, late in the season have on an off day and have a, a fundraiser, uh, and it's uh, uh, they raise money for the local. They raised money for the local ALS chapter, and that's where I met. <clears throat> I met a lady named Ellen Phillips, and it was very early on, obviously in my career, and I I was in the midst of having uh, uh, my first good season in the big leagues, and I was actually the the the. The correlation or the or the link. Well, I, I met a patient that day named Dick Bergeron, and Dick told his story, uh, which I've come to learn over the last thirty some years is all too common. Um, but I was starting to golf at the time, and he told a story about how he was on the golf course, and um, he noticed something odd about his hand. And after a couple of different rounds of golf, he kept noticing that his hand was getting weaker. Puck, enough already. <laughs> And um, he went in, uh, as was the case back then, and it's still pretty common now. Um, he was misdiagnosed over a period of about six months until finally he got the diagnosis. And uh, Dick was, in many ways, uh, before ALS, kind of a Scrooge kind of guy. Uh, not a very kind guy, very hard, very overbearing. Um, but his uh, his humanity was really exposed when he told the story and and it just kind of hit with me I, I like i said I, I was young i was golfing at the time and i don't know why but i went up afterwards and, and i introduced myself to ellen and i met dick 
Uh, Dick became a very dear, dear friend. Ellen is still a very dear friend um, and is actually involved in helping uh, this project when we go live to raise awareness. Um, Ellen had lost her husband, Tails. Anyway, um, we started a couple, couple programs. I started Kurt's Pitch for ALS, which I donated $100 to strike out uh, and $1,000 a win, and fans could join the program. And at the end of the year, for, well, for the rest of my career, uh, everywhere I went, we started a Kurtz Pitch program, and we had them running simultaneously in Arizona, Philadelphia, and Boston. Um, and all, all three cities, we would have a party at the end of the season to meet people. Anyway, uh, we ended up, um, over the course of my career, um, I, th I think donating north of $10 million uh, of my money. And then we, we raised another, oh God, I don't know how much, an enormous amount of money uh, through the fan program. Uh, and we became very intimately involved. And uh, all four of our kids, my old first son is named Gehrig, uh, after Lou Gehrig. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the motivation behind that was to uh, associate the name with life uh, instead of death. Because right now, ALS is still 100% fatal. And, uh, you know, the only, the only um, analogy I can use is, is that ALS is getting a death sentence without committing a crime. Uh, in many ways. And it's it's just it's horrific. And it's anybody that's been touched by it understands it's not a person's disease. It's a family and a community and a town's disease. And uh, it's financially just devastates people. Um, there are an enormous amount of, of trial drugs on the market. Uh, they've kind of hit and miss with they, they obviously haven't found anything uh, that cures ALS. Um, they they at different times, they felt as if they found stuff that may slow progression. Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of government bureaucracy involved, uh, which is how I actually met uh, the current sitting president when we were trying to get past legislation uh, passed. Um, but it's been, gosh, 30, 30 years now that we've been involved. And um, I, uh, well, this, this NFT, uh, when you see it, uh it will all make sense uh, you know the, the 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 bloody sock in 2004 um was what it was but one of the things that came out of that was my realization after the first night that uh if i pitched again everything and everyone was going to be queuing on the sock and so i wrote kls on my shoe uh which is actually in the hall of fame even though i'm not and uh <laughs> Uh, that that, well, that uh, might change, man. Let's uh, hope but, for the best. You know, it might change. It, it's at a point now where it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm fine. And and so anyway, um, that's in the Hall of Fame, and that's raised a ton of awareness. And uh, you know, I I thank God to this day we still have not been touched uh, with ALS in our family. Um, doesn't mean we won't be, and and you know, anything like that. But but I, it was just a chance. Uh, uh, I guess early in my career to get involved in something and, and make a difference. And um, it felt like the right thing to do. And it's been, an, we've gotten far, we've gotten far more out of this than we've ever put in. Uh, our family, my kids have all been raised around people uh, on ventilators in wheelchairs. They're not uncomfortable or abnormal in those circumstances and situations. And, and that's a pretty, I think, amazing thing. And, and, uh, you know, if, if you've met an ALS patient, one of the things that becomes really awkward is that everybody in the room is not nearly as happy and as, as upbeat as they are. They're, they're uh, amazing people. 
Um, and, and I think that that hits home when you realize they go to sleep every night knowing their, their, their lifespan is, is measured in days and months and not years and decades. And that's just, like I said, it's been, uh, been an incredibly powerful journey, a long journey, a meaningful one. And, and just because I'm not playing anymore doesn't mean I can't still make a difference. No, that's incredible, dude. I, I mean, was it your love for or your, uh, you know, looking up to Lou Gehrig as a player? What was it that drew to you, drew you to him? Um, was it just the the amazing player that he was until he was diagnosed, and then, or what was it that kind of drew you to him? Well, I, I think you know he was kind of secondary in the sense that, like, I I was involved before I knew intimately who and what he was, and uh, once I got involved, I, I as as someone who reads uh almost religiously i i studied the man and came to find out he was uh my goodness um i don't even know how to put it he was twice the man as he was the player and and as a player he's one of the greatest that ever lived but but i mean when you think about the fact that this man played the last year at least of his career if not more uh suffering from this disease it 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 gets it, it's pretty amazing uh, and tragic in many ways. And so, uh, but, you know, like I said, it, it's my career and this association has given me the opportunity to do things like this. And, and for that, I'll be forever grateful. But I'm, so I'm excited. I, 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 I want to say to the fans that are on here, um, obviously uh, discussing ALS is something I, I would like to do, but uh, anything and everything is, is, up. uh, this is an ask me anything. And if you know anything about me, uh, don't ask a question. You don't want an honest answer to that's all I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> and, and I, I don't apologize for who and what I am, uh, and, and what I believe and, and how I believe and, and, uh, the things that make me, me, um, because I know who I am and what I am. And I, I, I know at the, at the end of the day, I, I've got a good heart and I'm, I'm a good person and, and uh, I, I do believe God put us on this earth to make a difference in other people's lives. And, uh, you know, I've certainly come up short in a lot of ways, but I've always tried to, to do right. And that's why we, you know, that's, that's why you know, I respect you as a person. I told you that when I first spoke to you, you know, I hated your guts when I was, when I was, uh, you know, younger and watching you destroy the Yankees uh, in the playoffs and whether as a Diamondback or as a Red Sox. And then, you know, as I heard more of you as the person and saw, you know, the way that you speak about your beliefs and the things that you know, that are important to you, I grew to respect you, uh, very, very much. Uh, and we really appreciate that you're here today, uh, to answer questions from the community and to be a part of our community, hopefully for many years to come. Yeah, no, this is obviously, this is, uh, I mean, you know, I think the, uh, the whole space with crypto and all this other stuff has taken a major hit with this FTX baloney, but this is, this is not that. This is so far removed from that in many ways. And at the end of the day, a great cause is going to benefit from it. So uh, that's what I'm here for. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I have a few more questions for you and then we'll open it up to the audience uh, as more people start to file in here. Uh, so I know you're a big gaming guy. And uh, you, you had run a you know gaming company. When you're looking at the gaming space today and seeing how NFTs are going to be uh, or are being implemented within the gaming space, what is that uh, like? How, how do you see that? You know, what do you see the gaming space becoming over the next few years, where people well, will be able to have ownership over in-game items and things like that? I was, I was, I, I think I was pretty prescient or early in 38 studios life, because I, I remember saying to people, you know, and this was probably back in the early two thousands, 
And I said, you know, the, the, the days of GameStop were short-lived. This company's going to go under. There's not going to be gaming stores because I, I, was a, uh, I was a fan of a fledgling company called Valve uh, who opened up a, an online market with Steam. Um, and I think the danger is, is, is professing to know where this is all headed because it's moving so fast and it's changing so much that I think anybody that tells you they know is lying. Um, you know, I, I mean, what, five years ago, we, we were all told that 3D was going to be and virtual reality and headsets were going to be, that was going to be gaming. Well, it, it's taken a long time and it still isn't anywhere near where, I mean, it's obviously incredible. Um, but as someone who hopped on a computer in 1980, I believe, uh, and at the, the first Apple II, I was a big gamer back then. Um, it, 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 it's not really, I don't think people can comprehend the progression. Uh, the, I mean, when we, you know, you literally were talking on a device that could launch the space shuttle um, in our hands. And when you consider how far and how fast technology is moving, uh, and I don't know that it's all for the better. Um, you know, I heard you guys talking about uh, cybersecurity when I got on. Um, you know, there's a lot of bad actors, unfortunately. And uh, technology is facilitating a lot of that to happen. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I try to and, and really want to believe inherently in the good in people. And so I try and go that route when I can. It's a very good way of looking at it. Uh, I know you uh, you yourself uh, have been touched not by necessarily ALS, but um, you were diagnosed with cancer in the in the past from uh, chewing tobacco. And as I sit here with a lip in, you know, I, I uh, fear that because I've been doing that for 17 years. Your wife um, was also diagnosed with with cancer. Um, you, know, you see like the different um I guess the things that can impact people's lives and families uh, across the world, like, do you, uh, is there anything that you do in terms of uh, cancer, like for, for a charity? Uh, we don't, we don't really, uh, my wife, uh, I've been diagnosed twice. I've had throat cancer and, and melanoma and my wife has had uh, melanoma and breast cancer. Um, she's still uh, dealing with breast cancer in a pretty significant way. So, um, you know, we haven't, She's done a bunch of stuff. She started a, a, a nonprofit called the Shade Foundation, which in Arizona was put together to get um, sun, sunscreen and shade put over middle schools and, and, and schools. And um, we've done different things with cancer. But I, I, I think we, we just never wanted to leave. I, I don't know. I guess we look at it as our family uh, when, it, when it comes to ALS and and. Um, you know, there's, there's tons of things happening with ALS and tons of, of stuff being done for ALS. So, you know, we, we felt like they were pretty taken care of and, 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 and so, you know, I mean, we, I, I, I read, she actually plays in the, uh, in the hundred, in the hundred inning game as well, or she used to, yeah. uh, is that right? He did. Uh, that was a, that goes on in Philadelphia or in uh, Mass now, and, and there's a couple different versions of the game. We've got some amazing, amazing uh, friends of ours that have that have uh, participated and kept that going, uh, who have been affected by it. Um, uh, and I, I, I breaks my heart that I can't remember his name, but there was a gentleman uh, who was an umpire 
uh, who uh, contracted ALS, uh, and a bunch of players that were in the league that he umped in put together a game as well. So, um, yeah, it's it's still very near and dear to our, to, to us and to to uh, what we do. So I want to just touch on your baseball career a little bit here. So I'm going to give you a name, and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind when I say this name. Ben Davis. Uh, Bunt. <laughs> um, and, you know, so I gotta tell you, that's one of those things that, that took on a life of its own uh, without my involvement. I mean, uh, uh, there's a big backstory behind that, too, in that uh, Ben Davis was a young uh, teenager in Pennsylvania when I was playing with the Phillies. So I met him when he was 16 years old. And uh, Ben actually, as a teenager, caught me in the wintertime. Um, and so I knew him. Uh, but if you go back and look at uh, that game and every excerpt and quote from it, you're not going to find anything. I never said a word about it. I never called it Bush League or anything like that. Uh, I just said it kind of caught me off guard. It was a, at the time it happened, a lot of people don't realize it was a 2 nothing game. And uh, that bunt brought the tying run to the plate. And so, you know, it was what it was. Uh, but the worst part was that it was a horrible bunt by a slow white guy and the guy he bunted it to was the slowest white guy on the field. Uh, <laughs> and all of those things added up to him getting a hit when that bun had no business being a hit, but I mean, we won the game. So, you know, that and I just for context, you, that was just for the, context for everybody. So that he was pitching a perfect game at that point, And it was what the seventh or eighth inning yeah, uh, and, and a bunt single and that broke his perfect game and no hitter. Yeah, and what? But and and I got to tell you, uh, there were probably in my career, I don't know, five or six nights where I was on the mound and I knew how I knew I was the cat's meow, uh, and that was one <laughs> of them. I was I had as good a stuff as I've ever had, and unfortunately, I I, I hung a curveball to him, uh, and he he again had bunted a horrible bunt, and uh, it landed in the right place but like i said we won the game so all good what would you say is the the biggest game you ever pitched the biggest was well i mean game seven of the 2001 world series was probably the biggest um how was that for you pitching at yankee stadium right after 9-11 i, I well the whole experience was amazing uh i loved pitching in yankee stadium i really did because those fans were i mean they hated me and, and, you know, I always say that Yankee fans don't ever boo players that suck, you know, That's right. uh, and, Except and for A-Rod. So it's kind of, it, yeah. Well, I mean, I, again, that players that suck and A-Rod certainly didn't suck, but oh, well, yeah, you know, it was, uh, that was always an experience, but, but it was that in the 2001 world series, there was so many backstories to it. You had nine 11 and all the things that went with that. And, and, uh, you know, so it was, it was pretty amazing. It was a pretty amazing experience. And then obviously, you know, I, here I am pitching game seven against a guy who, who was very instrumental in my career, uh, becoming what it became, um, you know, game seven, both guys, uh, the two winningest pitchers in the game are, are pitching it that never happened before. And, I mean, it was pretty amazing. The whole thing was, was, 
was an experience. But I mean, and obviously when I came to Boston, there's a couple big games there as well. But, um, you know, I was blessed, man. I, I got to be a part of an experience. Uh, well, I played in two of the greatest postseasons, uh, I think, of all time. And, and uh, you know, came out on the winning end of both. And, um, you know, I, the, the other one that I was a part of was sucked when Joe Carter decided he was going to walk us off in Toronto. But, uh, you know, stuff happens. How do you feel about the changes that are being made in the game? Like with uh, like starting a runner on second potentially in, uh, in, in extra innings. Like how do you, how do you feel about the, those kind of changes? They suck. They all suck. They're terrible. It takes, it's, it it's, almost like takes away from the game. It's horrible. All of it's terrible. It's brutal. It's in every possible way. It's brutal. It sucks, but it is what it is. And it, it's what makes it so hard for me to watch the game anymore. Honestly, I, I, I just can't. It's, it's just, such a, uh, a, a, you know, when I see, you know, starting pitchers coming out of the game in the fifth inning, tipping their hats, I'm like, you know, what the hell? Um, but, you know, it is what it is. And I think you pitched and, like 17 complete games one year in, in the minor leagues as uh, when you were coming up. I think you had 17 complete games. I had, I had my, in 1998, in the big leagues, I had 15 complete games. Um, but yeah, I, I was raised differently. Uh, you know, that was, that was, uh, that was just the way it was. That was how I was taught. And, and, you know, that, that sort of thing isn't taught anymore. I mean, money has definitely made the game a very different experience. Um, and you know, there's, there's just not a lot you can do about it. It is what it is. You were somebody that was known in your career as somebody that, you know, your, your typical fastball was like 92, 93, but when you wanted to, you could really dial it back and throw like 97. How did you manage to do that? Did you kind of just well, like, oh. my career went on, uh, my velocity went up later in my career. I was a low to mid nineties guy. And at the end of my career, I was probably uh, mid to upper nineties, not the end, but, but, uh, in the middle of my career, mid to upper nineties guy. Um, you know, I had a couple, bunch of surgeries, but I, I mean, it was most of it came from finding out, uh, and learning about my arm, uh, and, and all the things that went with that. And, and, uh, you know, um, getting, get, I guess, religion, uh, on my arm and understanding how to take care of it. So when you're, um, when you're coming down towards the end of your career, um, you know, even then you didn't really have too many injuries that kind of like put you on the shelf for very long. Um, it's just, is, is it just like the way that you train or is it just, you, you were blessed yeah, with the I, rubber arm? I mean, look at, look at, uh, technology has been a huge part of, of sports medicine as well. And, you know, guys now, uh, it, it's, it's just expected that guys are going to have Tommy John surgery. Um, and you know, that used to be a career ender. And now it's not. Now it's just something people have. Very true. Um, so I want to open it up to uh, the, to the community to come up and answer, uh, ask you some questions. Uh, I believe, guys, if you can invite uh, Rusty, Rusty Shackelford, and uh, Lil Gaines, and Sefi, and uh, we have a few others that requested to ask questions as well. And we'll get them up here to uh, to ask you some questions. And just in the meantime, so you're 
you had said back, I guess, like three, four or five years ago that you were considering running for office um, against Elizabeth Warren. Is that something that still is a consideration for you? Uh, no. Well, first off, we moved to Tennessee, so that's not going to happen. But secondly, ah. you know what? I think I think the big thing for me was realizing that at some point in the last decade, uh, politicians' families have become fair play. Um, and my family already sacrificed enough for me, uh, in my career. And I just, I just didn't feel like it was something I wanted to put my family through. Um, and so I didn't, I, I just, you know, I, I stepped away from it and we ended, like I said, we ended up moving down here and, uh, now I have an animal rescue and, and, uh, that's what I do. I, I, that's, uh, an animal rescue. So I saw the, the video of you with the ferrets. That's what was that at the uh, animal rescue. Yep. 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 I got 10 little ferrets. Um, as, and, and, uh, most of the, uh, animals here, I have, uh, everything from goats to llamas, uh, uh, turkeys, chickens, peacocks, um, and all all kinds of animals. And that's, that's kind of my, my day to day life, which is heaven in many ways. Oh, that's awesome, man. Um, so yeah, let's open it up to the community. We have, uh, Scott, uh, up here, uh, ghost of secret cyber salmon. Would you like to ask your question? Yeah. Hey guys. Hey Kurt. What's up? Um, yeah, throughout your playing career, you achieved a lot with multiple World Series and joining the 3000 Strikeout Club. Outside of baseball, you've been an entrepreneur and a fan favorite for your journalism and blogging. I've certainly always respected you for speaking your mind and not biting your tongue. As censorship is on the, the rise around the globe, from China to Iran to the innocent people of Russia, do you see Web3 and NFTs as a way to restore power back to the people? And also like to know a little bit more about what attracts you to the, the space. Uh, wow. Uh, that's a, a good question. I, you know what? I'm not sure how that would happen, Scott. I, I don't know. I, I mean, what, one thing we do know about government, uh, not just our government, the governments around the world is, is they don't ever give anything back. And I think when you watch what happened uh, with COVID and the lockdown globally, uh, a lot of liberties were taken away here. Uh, I mean, not even close to what's happened to other places, but generally I don't see how the people get that back, uh, you know, because, again, the government doesn't and hasn't ever been someone who would acquire things from the citizens and give and take and then and then return them, if you, if you get what I'm saying. And I, I don't see that. I, I, I just don't. I, I think uh, I, I got to tell you that the whole Twitter thing, I think, is an incredible uh, uh, up like plus uh elon and taking twitter over and and because i think twitter is it's become and is a very very powerful platform i mean obviously in, in many ways i look at like wikipedia i mean it, just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true but um when you talk about free speech and that's the thing free speech is free speech it doesn't matter how vulgar or horrible it is because there's a lot of it out there um once you allow people with power and money uh, that are corrupt to begin creating guidelines to, to, to be able to define hate, uh, you, you go down a rabbit hole. I mean, obviously, nobody wants the extremist uh, uh, from either side uh, in the conversation. And for the most part, they're insignificant. They don't matter. Um, but 
I mean, when you look at the how ingrained social media is in our everyday lives, I, I, I don't I don't see that changing. But I also don't know that that's a conduit for people to reacquire the power uh, that we've lost. I'm not I'm not sure how that happens. I mean, I mean, when you look at this, the current situation now with with this country and, and our economy going the way it's going and and the daily lies uh, we're getting from the presidential briefing uh, and, you know, the stuff with FTX and the stuff with this, uh, I can't remember the name of this, this store that just ran this ad that had multiple pictures of children with, with pornography and pedophilia. Uh, and, 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 you know, you start to wonder, I think you have to start to wonder. not everything's a conspiracy theory. Um, I think some things are actually happening and I'm not sure what they are, uh, to be exact, but I know we're living in a really, it feels like a very evil time. And that, that, that doesn't make me feel good. But I also think that that's the world we're in right now. Great. Thanks for your response. I, if I could ask another question, is that all right? Absolutely. This, this one's more on a, a fun level. Um, yeah, we have a, a few connections. Um, I think Ken might have let you know something that we have in common. Um, off a of Twitter space. I prefer not to bring it up here, but I'm from the Philadelphia area as well. And um, I was wondering what your opinion was on the disgraced Philadelphia sports reporter, Mike Missanelli. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think he's a clown. I, he's always been a clown. Um, he, he's, he's insignificant to me. Um, he's, he's a, he's one of those, I mean, listen, Mike was someone who I, I brought into my life uh, and he was a friend of my family's. Um, I got burned multiple times in Philadelphia by people like that, but I was, I was naive about it. Um, uh, and, and it has nothing to do with, with, with whether media writes good or bad stories about me, but he's, he's a liar. And, and, you know, I, I can't think of anything worse. Uh, 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 to be accused of being in the media than being a liar, because if you don't have credibility, you have nothing. And so, you know, he does what he does. He gets, he's on a, a, a radio station and gets, you know, 48 listeners a day. And, you know, he still thinks he's a star and all the things that go with that. So whatever. I mean, he is what he is. Thank you for your Great, question, Scott. I, I think he's off the radio now. He was kicked off last year, but oh, yeah, good. I agree. Full-heartedly. Yeah. So <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Kurt. Care, man. Nice talking to you. Yep. Uh, Sefi, would you like to ask a question? Yeah. Hey, Kurt. I uh, hope you're having a good day. Uh, What's up? I'm, my background's kind of in uh, in uh, pulmonary critical care medicine. It's my like basic background, so ALS is familiar busy. to me. What's that? Yeah, you've been busy. Yeah. Well, been busy a couple of years, but it's it's calmed down. But like I just mentioning uh, ALS is something that uh, I occasionally take care of patients with. And uh, you can see her doing something for that. And for those in the room who don't know, um, uh, back at Caltech, you know, Hal Finney was uh, had ALS and he was one of the early um, like supporters and creators of Bitcoin, as probably most of you guys know. And he passed away quite early from ALS, unfortunately. Otherwise, we probably would have had some more like really cool shit developed by him. <laughs> so it's too bad. But um yeah, uh, it's uh, good that you're uh, accomplishing something here for uh, ALS. Thank well, you thank so much. You. 
thank you for your work too. I, I, I've, I've met so many people uh, around patients, caregivers, and it's, I don't think people understand. Uh, it's a, literally a 24 seven around the clock thing. And you guys are angels, man. Yeah. Thank you for the comments. And uh, yeah, I, I was, I'm an, I'm an early Apple II guy like yourself. And I, Oh, yeah. I remember, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit older, so I remember, uh, uh, yeah, you know, I, re I remember hearing about you playing and everything. I think while I was growing up, probably. I like, when did you start your career? It was, um, what, uh, like, what year did you begin? 88. So, 88, okay. Yeah, I was still relatively a kid at the time. I'm like one of those Stranger Things kids uh, about that age yeah. <laughs> during the 80s. <laughs> yep. And Sefi, did you have a question that you want to ask him? Nope, just hanging out. <laughs> Good Fair enough. Cool. <laughs> uh, and I believe we, um, Rusty Shackelford had a question uh, as well, if you want to invite him up. And Lil Gaines, Joe.io, and Amanda, I believe, as well. And while we get the people with the questions coming up here, um, so with your NFT, Kurt, we have uh we got rusty so we'll go with rusty and then we'll go to the uh nft music which uh we wanted to get the feedback of the community on rusty how are you buddy? hey what's going on hey kurt um what, what what's going on bud i'm a i'm a lifelong uh astros fan and i i know you had a real short stint with us um yep. would have been great to have you around for a longer time but i just had a pure baseball question because the two things i love are are, are blockchain and uh and baseball, but um, who who in your career did you uh, love or hate um, facing the the most? Which batter? And then same thing for nowadays. I know you said you kind of don't the the current climate of the game turns you off, but if you do have any current uh, uh, players that you'd love to hate, um, you know you love or hate to face, who would those be? Yeah. Well, I I grew up in the seventies. I grew up a Pirates fan. My dad was born and raised in Somerset, Pennsylvania. Uh, and so I grew up a Pirates and a Steelers fan. So I was in heaven during the 70s when the Steelers and Pirates were running roughshod all over everybody. And uh, the We Are family, Willie Stargell, Pirates, and um, Dave Parker and whatnot. But uh, so a couple guys. So left-handed, uh, Todd Helton was a nightmare. Uh, hated facing him. Um, uh, and a quick trivia, he was the, uh, the last hitter I ever faced in my career. Uh, and, uh, right-handed Derek Lee was a nightmare for me. Um, I had other guys, but those two guys are the two guys that really jumped to, to mind as, as far as guys who I, I just, I could not get them out. Um, and it wasn't any one thing. It was just that, that they were, they were just good and good, really good. Yeah. Helton was a hell of a batter. Oh, well, he's a hall of famer. He should be in the hall of fame. In in any player now, if you do keep up, I know you said you really don't, but anyone that uh, sticks out. I, I I watch very little baseball, but I will stop and watch a Jacob Degrom game. I will stop and watch a, a Verlander start. Um, Kershaw, I like to watch aces. I like to watch power guys. Uh, and and uh, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Mike Trout fan. Huge Mike Trout fan. Love Bryce Harper. Um, um, but. Yeah, there, there. I mean, there's, there's. The game is just so drastically different now that it's very, very hard to, to get. I mean, because if you think about it, when I was 
playing. And, and before this era, you know, every night, every game had a, a, a an antagonist and a protagonist, the starting pitching matchup. Uh, now that's not really a thing. And, and I think the baseball loses a lot by not having that. I mean, we had Nolan Ryan against Tom Seaver, uh, you know, uh, and you knew you were going to get 150 pitches out of both of them. Uh, now it's, you know, the starter goes twice around the lineup and that's it. And uh, it's just hard to watch. It's just very different. And watching this postseason, I was really put off by the fact that the, the most of these staffs, with with a few exceptions, are made up of guys who throw hard and have no concept of pitching. They throw hard, and that's what they do every pitch. And it's just it, it, it's taken it in many ways from an art. I mean, you watch Jacob Degrom, and it's not that he throws ninety eight; it's that he throws ninety eight with precision. And that's that's fun for me to watch. These guys throwing ninety eight and the ball going, you know, every which way it can possibly go, but to the strike zone. That's not entertaining to me. Yeah. Uh, Justin Verlander yeah. is, um, he, uh, unfortunately doesn't look like he'll be back with the Astros, but who, who knows, but he's one of the kind of the last of a dying breed out there. So anyways, I, I appreciate it, Kurt. And, and thank you for coming on and, and answering my question, bud. Take care. Thank you, Russell. Um, and just a question for you off the, going along the lines of uh, hall of famers. So how do you, does it uh, bother you in the sense the like you know you're kind of being lumped in with Roger Clemens yes. and Barry Bonds very, in the sense? Yes, yes, very much, very, very much. Especially when you consider that all the things and labels attached to me have no foundation in reality. Uh, you know the whole uh, phobia, phobic things, homophobic, Islamophobic, whatever it is. None of those things are rooted in any real thing. Um, there's no quotes, there's no acts. I played 22 years. You think if, if I was a, a racist, uh, well, I wouldn't have won the players. I wouldn't have won the, the, the awards I won off the field. Um, and I would assume a fan, a player, a coach, a clubhouse guy, somebody somewhere would have something to say about me as, as one of those things that never happened. So, um, you know, but you know, it is what it is. And, and I got to tell you, it's, uh, we were talking about, I was talking about this with somebody about six months ago. When you look at this cancel culture, I think I was actually the kickoff. I think I was the first person the cancel culture targeted and, and got. Um, if you go back and look at the timeline um, and, and how it happened, uh, I guess that's something to be proud of. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, well, I know you were very much against uh, performance enhancing drugs and whatnot. So in the sense of like, you know, Roger Clemens now uh, being on the ballot and then Barry Bonds being on the ballot and you being on the ballot. Like, do you think it'll be different in the sense that now you'll have players voting as opposed to the journalists voting? No, no, I don't think there's any changes anytime soon. Hey, Kurt. Um, it's you know, yeah. hey, hey, Kurt, it's amazing speaking to you. Well, thank you. Well, first off, I want to say you're an amazing player and whatever the Hall of Fame says, will not, in my opinion, does not discredit what you did because you played like a Hall of Famer from the moment you started to the moment you ended. I first want to get that out of the way. I and plus, you know, you. forget just players. There's many iconic figures that changed the game. Like, I wrote a piece in my sports history class about Doc Adams, who created the shortstop position, made the dimensions of the baseball field what it is. I made the sport nine innings. 
and you know he created the first ever league and that guy can't even make the hall of fame like th- these are the people <laughs> you're dealing with uh kurt don't worry so listen if no if, if if he's not in and if you're not in well what does that tell you what what does that tell you i'm good man. Like I said, I, I, I got past that about five or six years ago when I realized that vote totals were changing yearly, even though I wasn't pitching anymore. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's no a joke, matter what dudes. the vote says. Well, but, but no matter what the vote says on the 4th of December, I will still have my trophies and my rings and my memories and the respect to the people I played with and played against. And, and, oh, yeah. And you know, I'll, that, I'll tell you, that, I support you, dude. And I, I'm actually part of a website it. called, I'm part of a website called notinthehalloffame.com, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, well, uh, man, that's me. Yeah, well, we actually, my boss, he wants we to interview actually, you. He wants to interview you because oh, really? he, he, he says that he, he, he in, a, in my opinion, uh, believe that you not being in only validates the point that, you know, people have about the hall. Could you elaborate on that? What I mean is, like, you know, the more that they keep denying Kurt Schilling, the more they keep denying Kurt, the more that people are going to say that there's a bias against, you know, his political opinions and whatnot. That's, it's only going to exacerbate the more that he's left out. But if he's left in, you're not going to have as much of that. However, it's still going to remain because it took so long for him to make it if he were to make it. But not having him would only exacerbate those feelings that people have. Would you agree with that, Kurt? Yeah. Uh, your, uh, your audio might be a little messed up. All right. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah. Now you're good. Next question. Yeah, did you have any other questions uh, that you wanted to ask him, Vinny? Suppose not. All right. Uh, move on to the next one. Um, New York Sports Club. Uh, Brian, do you have any questions for Kurt? All right. In the meantime, we're going to go to the... Yeah, in the meantime, we'll, we, while we get other people up here for questions, uh, we'll play the songs from Songs of Eden that will potentially be the song for the NFT. Um, Kurt, you had... So with the NFT that we're doing, we have one that's going to be animated and one's going to be static, um, two different price points. Uh, the initial... I don't know how much in detail you want to go into the design of it uh, or if you want to kind of leave that as a surprise, but uh, the static image is one having to do with the bloody sock uh, and we wanted to do two price points to kind of give people, you know, everybody the uh, opportunity to get involved with the ALS initiative in terms of um, in terms of donating to it. So the animated one, uh, it's going to be a really incredible uh design that we put together here with Kurt and there'll be some music in the background to it. And we wanted to do uh welcome to the jungle since that was your song that you'd play uh, that, that would play when you came out to pitch. And because of copyright issues, we might not be able to do that. So uh, we had one of our artists that uh, he's a platinum uh, multi-platinum uh, award-winning album uh, pianist from Stockholm, Sweden, who we told that, you know, we were working with you on this and he, you know, he's familiar with you and he uh, was a fan of yours. So he decided to submit two songs to you uh, to, to see if you'd like them for the NFT. And we wanted to give the audience an opportunity to vote and see which ones they liked for the NFT. The NFT, if you want to give uh, like a little, just a, like a background on what the NFT concept is, if you, uh, if you'd be so kind. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, it's it's actually a really cool image. It's uh, a, a picture of of Lou Gehrig's locker and my locker side by side with some really cool stuff in them. Um, I don't want to give it away because I want I want it to be a surprise. But it's it's the animated one is is 
very very cool but it's I, it's been done I, I haven't seen the final version yet um but uh hopefully people will be as enthused about it as i am because i think they did a, a phenomenal i think you guys did a phenomenal job very i'm excited to see the final product yeah we should have that to you this coming week so um all things go all, all systems go for that uh so we have one song that's called world of mirrors uh by songs of eden and we'll play that right now So that's song one, World of Mirrors. And this one is one that he made just for you, called Kurt. So we're, we'll send out a um, a uh, Omniflix TV video with both of those songs, and we'll let people uh, vote on that, and we'll see we'll we'll see where, where that takes us. But both songs were by Songs of Eden. Uh, the first one is called World of Mirrors, and the second one is something that he made. Um, he started making just for you. So um, with his collection of Omni Owls. Uh, I think you agreed that whoever buys his NFT will get a whitelist spot for your uh, for your collection as well. Um, so he was a very, he's very appreciative of that as well. So I think the uh, Aiken. Yes. Sorry to interrupt, but I have an idea for those that just listen to the tracks. Right? If they can react with a thumbs up if they like track one, and a heart if they like track two. Those that are here right now, we can just understand their reaction. Oh, absolutely. Let's do that. Yeah. Please react with a thumbs up if you like track one. And please react with a heart if you like track two. And Cecil, while you're on, do you have any questions for Kurt? No, none at the moment. You know, it's, an, it's a very inspirational journey. You know, I've uh, read through the details before. And uh, thank you, Kurt, for doing this with us. And uh, loved your... Uh, you know, passion towards whatever you're doing, right? Not just baseball, fighting the cause and, you know, even with exploring new tech. And personally, I believe that's what has led you to exploring Web3 and NFTs as well. So we believe, you know, it'll be a pretty interesting and uh, an exciting uh, collaboration. I appreciate that. Thank you. And like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to work with you guys and, and hopefully this is... Uh... The first of, of many endeavors together. Definitely 100%. 
I know the entire ecosystem is incredibly excited that you're, um, you know, that you've decided to work with us, and that there's, you know, other blockchains that you could have decided to to participate with. And we're, you know, we're thrilled that you've chosen Omniflix and the Cosmos ecosystem. And I'm sure you'll down the line you'll be uh, incredibly, uh, you know, happy that you chose us as well. Uh, looking forward to it. Absolutely. Um, so, and, and let's bring up uh, Super Era. You uh, had questions as well. Uh, feel free. All right, thank you, and uh, welcome everyone to the AMA with Kurt Schilling. My name is Superera. I'm one of the Flix fanatics for OmniFlix. And Kurt, I have to say it's an honor for all the Flix fanatics to have you launch your collection on OmniFlix Marketplace. Now, I had some questions uh, from me and some of my friends who unfortunately wasn't able to be here uh, on the space because where I am, it's around about four in the morning. So here I go. The first question I had was, uh, no, uh, it's it's definitely something we are all looking forward to. The collection you would be launching on Omniflix Marketplace, and uh, no, even we we really appreciate about uh, you creating awareness about the ALS. Now, is there something you want to recommend those who collect one of your NFTs to do to forward the cause? Well, there, there I think. The plan right now is, and thanks for the question, and thanks for the help and support. I think the 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 plan right now is that when we do launch, we'll be launching in in conjunction with uh, the ALS National Chapter, and part of the launch date uh, curriculum will have multiple contact points for people to contact local chapters and national chapters to uh, to donate. Uh, while money is obviously at the forefront of of progressing research and stuff, there's other things that can be done. Um, uh, if you know anything about ALS, you know what a, what a devastating disease it is. And you can, uh, time is also incredibly valuable to patients and families. And there are ways to get involved and, and donate time and effort uh, to these people uh, and these families. And so those things will happen on the day we end up launching this. Great. All right. And uh, yeah, so no, it's what I've heard till now. Uh, personally, I personally don't follow baseball, but I've read and I could see that uh, you are religion. And uh, the words I heard about you from other participants are also very, very motivating for us. So do, do you kind of see yourself doing more collaborations with Omniflix in the future? Maybe, you know, having more interactive videos about ALS uh, using our platform alpha.omniflix.tv or something else like that? Well, I, I, I do. I think one of the levels uh, of, of the NFT, one of the upper levels will be actually um, uh, the ability to correspond uh, and 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 you know either get an autographed item or or actually get involved in 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 this in being able to talk uh on some sort of monthly basis um ken can talk more to that but we've talked about having uh, a setup where i would be uh, uh fans that buy at a certain level would have access to 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 me uh in in a very unique way yeah so the the token gated access to a discord channel which we would set up with them um, you know, if you buy the NFT, then you'll be able to have access to his Discord channel where he can set up a stage and have like, a, you know, a, a, per, a personal AMA for the people that are in his community 
Um, so we'll be working with Kurt to set up a community within um, within Discord uh, that'll be tied to his Omniflix NFTs, and you'll have access to him in that way. That's that's great, and I completely agree with you, Ken. Okay, so one last question I had uh, before I give the stage back to Ken and you. Now, what difference do you think uh, using Web3 as, as a vehicle to create this awareness would be making versus Web2? Uh, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't get the last part of that question. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Maybe I just rephrase that. Uh, how do you think Web3 will uh, create better awareness or why have you selected oh, okay. Web3 right. versus Web2? You know I, I, I would be talking out of the wrong side of my mouth to talk in any depth about Web3. I, I don't understand fully the capabilities. Um, I'm not sure a lot of people do. Um, I don't understand, to, to, and it's a good thing, I think, uh, the potential. Uh, I think the potential is, is unlimited uh, as long as the focus, it, you know, I, I mean, I, I was in the software industry long enough to know uh, as long as uh, we stay away from feature creep, uh, and we focus on the actual goal uh, 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 in what Web3 is trying to be, I think we end up possibly having something that, that nobody's really ready for. And, I, and that's exciting. Absolutely. All right. Thank you for all the answers and giving us your time. Thank in you. Case I have more questions, I will get back. And best of luck. Thank you. Thank you, Super Air. And um, I think Scott had another question uh, that he wanted to ask. Scott, are you there? Might have lost Scott. All right, while we wait for Scott, uh, I do have a couple other questions for you, Kurt, if you don't mind. Um, no. So when you were, um, oh, I think we just got Scott back. Beautiful. Scott. Awesome. Yeah, I got, I've got. i got tons of questions. I, that second <laughs> question I asked, I really just wanted to shit on Miss Anelli. So, um, but yeah. To, to get back on you know, kind of topic, like, you know, having such a successful baseball career being an entrepreneur doing so many other things what really keeps your drive going what what makes you wake up and want to continue to help out people in need um well i mean i'm retired now and uh my my drive is at home i i, I have four amazing kids uh i still have a chance to to reach out and and be a part of things to influence people uh, and I try to do that from an educated perspective uh, to learn as much as I can learn about the things I'm involved in. Um, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm very passionate about the things that I care about. And, and, you know, that's, I think one of the reasons why uh, when I played the media loved me because I was not a yes, no guy. If you can ask me a question, I'm going to give you an answer, uh, an in-depth answer. Uh, and doesn't mean I'm right. Uh, but, but, uh, the, the, the things that I care about in life, I've always been very, very passionate about. And, uh, I've tried to be educated about and on. Um, and so, uh, I mean, I think the motivation now is to, to, to leave the earth, uh, a, a better place than, than it was when I got here. Um, and, uh, you know, that can take many forms uh in many ways uh in many different causes so um always looking for the next one and i know you have um you know you have people that hate you and you have people that love you 
Um, does it make it, you know, when you get people that, you know, message you and say, you know, awful things to you, does it ever make you consider like just hopping off social media and just not dealing with it? Or do you, would you think that's no. letting them work? Well, because I mean, it's, it's hundred to one, uh, you know, I get for every, every clown who, you know, let's be very clear. No one in, in my lifetime has ever done or said anything to me in person negative. I mean, so I, you know, I know how people are. The internet gives people big muscles. And um, for every hate message I get, uh, I get literally hundreds of amazingly kind and supportive uh, uh, messages for people. I think a lot of people who, who basically feel like they don't have a voice. And, and in some cases, in some ways, they feel like I am their voice for whatever that's worth. And, you know, that, 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 is something that uh, I, I take very seriously. Are there people from your career uh, that still, you know, that you talk to today that are, you know, that are there with you in terms of uh, your your charitable initiatives or that help you with, um, you know, appearances and stuff for, for ALS? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do very few appearances now. Um, yeah, I, I, I do. I, I, I pick and choose what I do very carefully, and it's usually very little. I, I like I'm, a, you know, I traveled my whole life, my whole career. I like being at home. So I do a lot less uh, than people think. Well, in that way, Web3 is probably a blessing to you because you can you know, reach so many more people uh, yeah. through Web3 and through just through the through technology. Um, and they give you the opportunity to do things like that. And like we had Brian from uh, Metahattan uh on the on the show before you hopped on and you know do you think like could you see a world where like you have uh, a metaverse you know and do events in the metaverse where you can uh almost be there in real life with people but in virtual reality yeah i mean that's certainly something uh i'm exploring right now is a way to work with young baseball players uh and 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 have you know small uh exclusive audiences uh, and work with young pitchers, um, you know, this, this, you know, Twitter space and, you know, getting a video component to it, uh, is going to be a chance for me to, to do some things, uh, some very unique and very different things. Did you ever consider like getting into coaching? I did. Uh, I, I would love to, I, I, my, my dream honestly is to, is to coach a division one, uh, college baseball program. I would love to do that. Um, but baseball is really, uh, in many ways, not even uh, hinted at uh, at being interested in my services. Um, so, you know, it, it has to be a two-way street. I imagine that's because of your political views? Uh, yeah, I, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah, because I can't imagine it has anything to do with you as a player, <laughs> considering, uh, you know, your... your uh... You know, your your records and your uh, awards that you've won. So, uh, is there anything that you would? Is there anything that you've done in your career that you regret? Things I wish I hadn't done. Yeah, I mean, uh, at post group posting the the tweet of with the t shirt uh, about uh, reporters probably wasn't uh, the right way to do that um, or right thing to do. Um, but I mean, for the most part. No, I mean, I, I, I did some things that I, I wish I hadn't done, uh, but I never did them out of malice uh, or trying to be malicious to somebody. Um, I answered the questions I answered and said the things I said because I thought I, you know, that was what I believed. And, but I mean, 
there are things I would change, but I, I don't know. Uh, regret's a pretty strong word, you know. Um, I regret uh, hanging the curveball to Ben Davis. Uh, <laughs> I, I regret shaking Jason Veritek off in the bottom of the ninth with a no-hitter and two outs in Oakland. Um, but, you know, re- not really regret. I, I, I wish I had learned and known. I, I wish my work ethic had been better when I was really young. Um, but you know, he, he, all those things ended up being the things that needed to happen for my life to be the way it was. Do you think that your, uh, your, like your demeanor and the way that you carry yourself helped you in the terms of, you know, being as great as you were as a pitcher and giving you the confidence in yourself to go out there and have, you know, 40, 50,000 people rooting against you and being able to go out there and, and shut them up? Uh, well, I mean, I was always a, um, I mean, no one was more nervous or, or scared or fearful before a game than I was. I mean, I, I mean, fear of failure is an incredible motivator always has been for me. Um, and so, I mean, I, I was obsessed, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm knee deep on the, on the Asperger's scale. Um, and I think that that was a huge plus for me when I played, but you know, I, I was the way I was when I played, and that was the only way I could be. I was obsessed with it and, and all the things that, that, that go with it. So I was reading something that you had uh, you had posted something, I guess, a couple of days ago uh, on your Twitter uh, from a, a blogger that was a, a Boston Red Sox blogger, and it was like the anniversary of uh, the dinner that you had on Thanksgiving with Theo Epstein when you went over to Boston. And somebody had wrote in the comments like, I, I like I don't know how the hell like that 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 happened with the 29 year old GM. Uh, like I can't even, I can't even imagine Kurt speaking to him like and and you know, like giving him a second thought. Like how did that come about? And like how well, did you? Um... To be clear, Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer were two of the more polished people I've ever met in the game. Uh, Theo might have been 29 at the time, but he certainly didn't act it. And um, he was probably he's definitely the best GM I've ever known. Uh, one of the smartest baseball minds I've ever met. Um, and they did everything right. Everything right. And, and you know, part of, not part of, but one of the big pieces of that sales pitch was making my wife uh, convinced, convincing my wife. My wife wanted to go to New York and she wanted me to play for the Yankees. So um, that was an uphill battle for them. Um, but they were amazing. And it's, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the decision came down to, do I want to go to New York and be a part of the 26th, 27th, and 28th World Series in their franchise history? Or do I want to go to Boston and do something that no one's ever seen before? And and the Boston thing was way more appealing to me. Honestly, even as like as a Yankee fan, man, I I've, obviously made the right decision, like, look, you know, uh, playing Monday morning quarterback, but I can't see like you having built the like the lore around yourself in Yankee Stadium just because of you know you would have just been another great player that came to the Yankees in Boston you were able to make yourself into a legend well I, I mean I certainly that wasn't what I was looking at when I was going into it um I was like I said I was looking at being a part of something that had never been done before it, well it had never been done in anybody's lifetime that was living and and that appealed to me. Um, I mean, obviously, it was an insanely talented team, very deep. Um, and when you looked at, at at how the year before ended, you know, 
the Yankees never bothered me, and they never beat me when it mattered. And so I wasn't scared of them. I, they didn't intimidate me. They were an incredibly good team. Um, and I knew coming to Boston, all roads would lead through New York if we were going to do it. And, and that was appealing to me. I, I liked I liked the thought of wearing a Red Sox uniform in Yankee Stadium a lot more than I liked the thought of wearing a Yankee uniform in Red Sox in Fenway. Were you, uh, was it you that was on the mound for the A-Rod slot? No, that was Bronson Arroyo. Oh, damn it. That's right. That's right. That's right. I was the first man in, though. <laughs> Uh, have you been a part of, uh, like, did anybody try, like charge the mound against you ever? No one ever charged me, no. No, that probably wouldn't have gone well for them. No, and I threw pretty hard. So if I was going to hit somebody, I, it was going to be hard enough and in the right place so they wouldn't be able to get up and come get me anyway. So, but I, <laughs> I mean, I hit, I think I hit 54 guys in my career, 52 or 54, and I probably hit maybe less than 10 by accident. Um, but, I think everybody that I hit knew they were supposed to get hit and knew I was going to hit them. Uh, and I never threw it at people's heads. Uh, and, and I think, you know, for the most part, I always, I played the game, right. I, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't get offended at people for doing dumb stuff. And, you know, I, I protected my teammates and, and people knew that. And so generally people didn't get into a, a beanball war when I was on the mound because, you know, I, for the most part, I was better at, at it than they were. <laughs> Um, when you look at what happened with Clemens and Piazza, do you think that there's any possible way that that was not specifically was like the bat throw? Like, do you buy the I thought it was the ball thing? No, no. Fair. <laughs> Simple answer. <laughs> um, when that was going on, like, um, did you ever did you ever like have a like did you uh, know Clemens well like were you um oh yeah no Roger was Roger was very instrumental uh, in 1991 uh, in the winter of 1991 before the 1992 season uh, I was in the weight room at the Astrodome and uh, he was there working out and he pulled me aside for about 45 minutes uh, for a conversation that changed my career really what did he say to you uh, it was just a long conversation about um getting my shit together um you know one of the things he told me that i never ever forgot was you know when you walk out on that mound the name on the back of that jersey that's not yours that's your father's and as someone who grew up with a, a father who was everything you could ever want a father to be uh it was a very powerful very important and very influential message and uh you know, he had, Roger had an insane work ethic. And, you know, I was probably the last guy in the big leagues sticking up for him when all that stuff was going down. And probably nobody was as disappointed as I was when, when the whole story came out. And, you know, that's the thing. And the reason why I think I'm probably most, I don't know if offended is the right word, but, but that's the only word I can come out. Most offended at being lumped in with Barry and Roger, they ruined other people's lives to protect their story. They ruined other people's lives to preserve legacies that, that they just don't have. And, and, and I didn't, uh, I didn't do any of that stuff and I didn't do any of the things people said I did, but to be kind of lumped in that and make that a trio is, is and I mean, Roger, my God, I think they were both legitimate first ballot hall of famers before they, they started cheating. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Do you think the, that PEDs are still like prevalent in the game today? I don't know. 
Uh, I really don't. I'm not around the game. Haven't been around the game. I don't know. Um, people are still doing it because I mean, players are still getting caught. Um, but one of the things that that I mean, and I I got into in, into it enough to study it um, to understand the nuances of it and why it was happening. Um, and it was never for a lot of the reasons I think people think. I, you know, the people I talked to that did it, it was all about recovery. And and in baseball, you know, you hear guys, Deion Sanders, Brian Jordan, talked about baseball being way harder to play than football um, because you play every day and you play against the – you know, it doesn't matter that you're banged up and nicked up on Sunday because you got John Schmoltz on Monday. I mean, and so uh, a lot of guys did it for recovery. And then you realize, you know, when Barry Bonds is at the plate on September 1st and I'm dragging ass in month six of the season – uh, and he's spring training fresh. The 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 advantage is immeasurable, um, because performance in, at that level is about confidence. And when you're feeling fresh in September, and I'm not, you have an enormous advantage over me. That makes sense. Um, with regards to uh, last question, and I'll I'll see if anybody else has any questions for you. And otherwise, we'll um we'll we'll close this out and let you go. Um, but when you come down to the to the point where now you're sitting there and, you know, you've got your career in the books and, you know, you look back at it, um, how do you, how would you like assess your career in one sentence? Uh, well, I've never done anything in one sentence, so I'm not going to do this. <laughs> Touche. But one paragraph. I, I will tell you this in, in 1992, my wife and I were, were, uh, were laying in bed talking and she asked me point blank to my face, you know, what do you want when your career is over? What do you want out of this? And I said, I want two things. I want to win the Roberto Clemente award. And when I retire, I want all of the players that I suited up with. If they had one game life or death to win or lose, they would want me to have the ball. And, uh, I won the, the Roberto Clemente award in 2001 and, and, in winter go home games, my team never lost. And so I feel like I, I, I worked my ass off to get those two things. And I, I feel like I, I, I got close. And you sit there as one of the best postseason pitchers of all time, 11 and two, I think in the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So I think you, uh, I think you accomplished both, both of those goals. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And, and like I said, let me, let me finish by saying this, guys. Uh, for all of you that, that joined, I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate that you've done that. Um, at, at this stage of my life, I realize that the most precious thing we have is time. And for you guys to give me your time, is, is, uh, it means something to me. So thank you for that. But this is something, hopefully, that will uh, begin a trend, uh, a big trend in, in NFTs. I mean, NFTs, depending on, on, the, on the audience you're, you're in and with, can, can have very different connotations. But this is... This is using them and doing the doing something good with them, and and uh, I don't think there's enough of that going on these days. And hopefully, you guys will be involved and spread the word, and and you will participate. So, thanks again for everything, guys at Omni, and and we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll be in touch soon. We appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, we know right. your time is valuable, and uh, you know you've got uh, family and whatnot around the holidays here. So, we really appreciate you taking the time today. All right, Ken. Thank you. Anytime, man. Thank you. It was great talking to you. And uh, we're going to do the giveaways uh, right after this. Uh, we're going to do those and post them on Twitter for the giveaways for the whitelist spots and for the 
uh, Kuji and Juno giveaway that uh, that I did myself and uh, the team along with us together. Um, we're going to be giving those out very shortly. And um, we will reach out to you by Twitter uh, with the winners on that. And we were giving away 40 Kuji, 20 Juno, and uh, 10 whitelist spots as well. And then everybody that asked a question today will be getting a whitelist spot as well. So we'll be reaching out to you guys for your uh, wallet addresses. And we will take it from there. Um, and uh, anybody else have anything they want to say in closing? Hey, Ken? Yep. Yeah. Um, that was, uh, you know, very nice. It was, uh, you know, a pleasure to have had Kurt with us and, uh, you know, uh, you led the conversation well. So thank you on behalf of the entire community and, uh, you know, hope to see a lot more people get involved. And, uh, you know, as Kurt rightly said in the end, you know, it is not just about, say, dropping NFTs or, you know, going, going about it that way. It is more about uh, being involved with the community. And uh, Kurt, you know, yeah, as he mentioned, right, took out precious time of his as well. And, uh, and he appreciated the fact that we were all there. And, uh, you know, that means a lot to all of us. And uh, hope to see a uh, lot of you that are here and uh, now as well as listening to the recording, uh, you know, get involved. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Cecil. And thank you to all you guys for uh, joining today. We really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully this will be the first of many things like this that we're able to do here in the OmniFlex community for, um, for everybody in the cosmos. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was the OmniFlix Network hosting an AMA with Kurt Schilling. NFTs for ALS. Minting for Hope. Recorded on Saturday, November 26th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. When we blow through the dust, volcanoes erupt. No one ever guessed that the game would be tough. Keep it hands off when the play is a bust. Plain old and just, so we keep it on the one. Blast off on the two. Help me see the three. Third eye open wide, checking out the scene. Razor beam focused, Starscream jokers. Living off the fat of the people they approach. Tell me what happens when the land fights back. With the cliffs at our backs, make the last stand matter. No one ever planned for the famine on deck. We was walking all a wreck with the dead man's swagger. Sitting in a little den, envision in the middle men. Listen to the fiddle man play a little ditty then. Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian. Lost in the maze, trying to make the next billion. Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian. Lost in the maze, trying to make the next billion. Little Dan envisioning the middle men Listen to the fiddle man play a little ditty then Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze trying to make the next No one gave a shit till the drugs all dried up Everybody died from a bad batch of Lysol But it didn't matter we was all hyped up When the pedal lit the metal he just didn't have the right skill Watched in the daytime till the night curfew Rats in a cage till they make time to murky Got a little job that falls under my purview We gotta get this mob away from the 
birds view. Gotta find cover, wipe off the bird poop, ride off the work while you try on the worst juice. Blinded by perps who try to reverse truth, slide like Fox News just trying to lie to you. Eating up the slop like a bunch of hungry vagrants. I can't wait for the day they lock us up in stasis. Mock up a basement, could call me resilient. Waiting for the internet to make me a billion. In the middle men listen to the fiddle man Play a little ditty then Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze trying to make the next B-b-b-billion Talk about how all the leaders seem reptilian Lost in the maze trying to make the next B-b-b-billion Terror spaces